channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on May 13th, 2021, and is current through Star Trek Discovery Season 3, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are multiple television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is Chris Vanderkamp. Chris, welcome to Weekly Trek. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. All right, Chris. Well, I ask my guests this question every week. I want to know something that's got you feeling good about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? So, Alex, I am a cosplayer. And this week, I actually started some of my new builds. So I'm very excited about that. I am working on a Discovery uniform, I'm working on an Enterprise uniform, and I'm working on a Mirror Universe uniform. So I started all of those this week, and I'm thrilled to actually be finally cutting fabric. Oh my god, this is amazing. Tell me more. So which Discovery uniform are you making? So I'm doing a command style uniform, and if I can just rant for a moment, the shoulders on the... Discovery uniforms and the Enterprise uniforms are driving me insane trying to figure out how those work. I'm the type of cosplayer that obsesses over those little details and tries to get them as accurate as possible. And I think I have about four different fabrics and samples spread out on my cutting table right now, just trying to get it as close as possible. Oh man, and Gersha Phillips has set you a significant challenge because it didn't seem like she went into making those Discovery costumes thinking about the well-being of the cosplayers who would come after. (laughs) No, and it's not like I am going to go to Sweden and get custom fabric, which is what I understand that they did for Discovery. So yeah, I. but I'm very excited to be starting that build. I'm doing a Discovery command style uniform. I'm doing an Enterprise command style uniform. And then I'm working on a replica of Mirror Captain Killy. Oh, very cool. And how on the Discovery uniform, how will you do the little deltas on those sort of side panels? So there is a wonderful person on Etsy. And I can't remember their name at the moment, but if you search for Discovery Delta Shields, they produce iron-ons of the Delta Shields. Uh And they look fantastic. You don't quite get the raised texture, of course, but this is going to be about as close as it's going to get. So they're the right size, they're at the right angle, And I think it's going to look really fantastic. Well, that is awesome. And it also means that I assume that you maybe enjoy a convention every now and again. I may have been known to enjoy a convention every now and again. Well, good, good, good. Because one of our stories this week does relate to the juddering restart of Star Trek conventions again, which is awesome. So the thing I'm feeling good about this week is that next week... 
May 18th marks the release of the next Star Trek Discovery novel, Wonderlands by Una McCormack, which tells the story of Michael Burnham's time, the year that she spent in the 32nd century, which sort of happened in between the first and second episodes of the third season of Star Trek Discovery. And while I am, of course, looking forward to the book, Una McCormack's a fabulous author, it actually begins an unbroken eight-month run of new Star Trek novels, which is fun because the last one we had was January. So we're coming off of a four-month drought. And over last year, there were a number of releases, but they were sort of scattered around the year. We are now just less than a week away. In fact, by the time you listen to this, the book will come out tomorrow from a new Star Trek book every month for the next eight months, which is so much fun because it reminds me of the good old days of getting at least one book a month every month of the year. And even going so far back as the late 1990s when we got two Star Trek books every month. Chris, are you a book fan? I am. And I remember the golden age that you're describing. And maybe we're coming into a new, I don't know, platinum age of Star Trek media. I think we might be. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with the move to the the larger trade paperbacks and because they're more expensive, I think they've purposefully not been doing 12 a year but I am really looking forward to the next eight months there and it's you know nice variety I mean we've got a discovery novel original series novel Picard novel Deep Space Nine novel next generation novel and then the three novels that we think are going to wrap up the Star Trek literary continuity from the last two decades of books so lots and lots to look forward to for lots of different kind of fans too which is also really really nice all right well with that let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. While doing press rounds for his new movie, The Virtuoso, Anson Mount has been speaking a little bit about his experiences with filming for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The show, which is now filming up in Toronto, Canada, has shot about half of its first season so far, according to Mount. Quote, We're really happy with the material. We're all having a good time together, he said of his experience so far, giving us just the most tantalizing of hints as to how the show is going. Mount also went on to praise the episodic format for Strange New Worlds, which he's done in a few recent interviews about the show, saying that it feels more like, quote, classic Trek and founded on the big idea of the week. In addition to Mount's comments, we also learn via Instagram two of the show's directors for episodes this season. Maya Vavillo, who has directed Discovery, and Picard has directed the second episode of this season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, following Akiva Goldsman's direction of the pilot. In addition, we also learn that newcomer to the Star Trek franchise, Andy Armaganian, will be directing the season's sixth episode, which actually went before the cameras this week. Armageddon is new to directing Star Trek, but she has previously directed episodes on a number of the CW's DC shows like Arrow and Supergirl. Chris, are you looking forward to Star Trek Strange New Worlds? I don't think that the English language has a word to describe my excitement about Strange New Worlds. <laughs> there might be something in German that would come close. And it probably has about 52 letters, right? Yes, and is unpronounceable to anybody except native Germans. But yes, I'm so excited for Strange New Worlds. I adored Anson Mount as Captain Pike. Just the way that he brought that role to life and took it in such a different direction than Jeffrey Hunter did. I mean, when when we saw Jeffrey Hunter in the cage, we saw this kind of burned out guy that was tired of life, tired of Starfleet, tired of everything. And now we've got this almost happy-go-lucky guy that's kind of just happy to be here. I mean, he's the cool camp counselor that gets tough when he has to, but doesn't 
necessarily enjoy it that much. And it was such a breath of fresh air to see that from a captain. It was a very different take than we've seen previously. So I'm thrilled for Strange New Worlds. And I think that the episodic thing is going to be really interesting because most of the the new Trek we've seen so far, with the exception of Lower Decks, has been those season-long arcs to some degree or another. So getting back to the classics is going to be really exciting. And I'm excited for all of the new Trekkies who have picked things up for the first time, getting to see that return to the classics. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun mix between modern Star Trek production values with classic Star Trek storytelling. I mean, it's assuming it ends up being what everybody has said that it is, which we have no reason to assume that it won't. But if it does end up sort of reflecting that kind of, you know, episode of the week style, it is going to be really interesting to see how they marry the two together. And there's so much positive stuff that we could say about Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike. But I think the really interesting thing is, you know, when he was on Discovery, he was playing the captain, but he was not the star of the show, right? That was Sneakle Martin Green as Michael Burnham. But now he is the captain. And as the captain, he is the star of this show. And there is that sort of, we see it in the other Star Trek shows as well, where, you know, that person who's top of the call sheet also has sort of a bit of a leadership role amongst the rest of the cast off camera as well as on camera. And I think it's a role that Anson seems to have taken to. He, I didn't include it at the top, but he did talk a bit in the interview about how challenging the COVID protocols have been because it's meant that the cast and crew haven't been able to socialize in the way that he would normally want them to in that kind of environment to get to know each other better. And hopefully as vaccinations continue picking up in Canada, they can maybe start to ease some of those restrictions a little bit and start doing some of that stuff. But uh, yeah, really exciting to know that they're halfway through filming season one. I think we're expecting probably a 10 episode season, though I don't think that's been confirmed that it's only going to be 10 episodes, but lots of people are saying they assume it's only going to be 10 episodes. So yeah, if they're doing six, it means they're not all that far away from being finished with it, which means that they're almost certainly on track for a 2022 premiere. And it would not shock me if at San Diego Comic-Con at home or at Star Trek Day, we maybe got ourselves our first trailer look at Strange New Worlds, which would be a lot of fun. Definitely. And I saw on that uh, same interview, to your point about taking that leadership role that Anson's regretting that he can't throw barbecues. And that made me giggle because, of course, he he grew up in Tennessee. And so I would bet a pretty significant amount of money that that man knows how to throw a barbecue. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. He plays a spaceman on television, but I think in real life, he's a bit of a, you know, sort of a, a rugged outdoorsman character in uh, in the way that you would expect for listening to him speak, for example. Definitely. Well, following on from the reveal we discussed on our previous episode, where LeVar Burton said he would not be appearing in Star Trek Picard season two, but heavily implied he was likely to make an appearance in season three. Gates McFadden is the latest TNG star to comment on whether she is making an appearance in Picard anytime soon. McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher in Star Trek The Next Generation, said in an interview with Trek Movie last week that she would not be appearing in Picard Season 2, and unlike LeVar, did not drop any additional hints about the possibility of a future appearance. I'm not in the second season, she said. I'm sad that I'm not, Things have changed a lot on different levels, so I have no idea at this point. I'm disappointed because it would have been so much fun just to work with those people, but we'll have to see. I have no idea. I wish I could tell you. 
is this Gates just being better about abiding by a potential NDA than LeVar was in his conversation with Whoopi? Well, maybe. Only time will tell. Don't forget that Marina Sirtis was saying, no way, no how was she appearing in Star Trek Picard season one. Nobody had called her. It was not going to happen. She said that at Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. in like May of two years ago. And then not six weeks later at San Diego Comic-Con, of course, the trailer drops and there's Deanna Troy in Star Trek Picard season one. So can't quite rule out Gates playing coy, but she says not in season two at this point. So we'll have to see about a return for Beverly Crusher. When asked about what she might want for Crusher's return and her relationship with Picard, Gates said, quote, I don't know. I think there's a lot of possibilities. I wouldn't want to limit something in a sort of soap opera way, but I think there's a tremendous amount of possibilities that could happen. But that's me. And I'm not a writer on the show. Chris, would you like to see Beverly Crusher return to Star Trek in Star Trek Picard? I would. I would love to see what modern writers would do with such a talent as Gates McFadden and and such a great character as Beverly Crusher wound up being. And I think she got a fairer shake towards the end of TNG and then, of course, in some of the films. But I would really love to see how modern writers would treat her and really let her be an equal to Picard on, on solid footing with him. And of course, there's the resolution of that relationship that really never got a satisfying ending in any of the other media. So yeah, I would love to see her come back. And I'm kind of with you, Alex. I'm not quite sure if, I, if I'm if i believing the denial at this point. It certainly sounded different than LeVar Burton's did. It was a bit of a different tone. But as you say, that may just be the different temperament of the actors and how they dodge those questions. Yeah, I mean, it can't be lost on CBS that in the wake of Star Trek Picard season one, there is a very vocal section of the fan base who are really, really invested in seeing Dr. Crusher again in Star Trek Picard. And we've heard various comments from different actors on the show saying, and from Patrick Stewart himself saying that they expect that at some point we will probably probably see all of his kind of old sort of companions from the Enterprise on Star Trek Picard. And as it stands right now, we're only really expecting the show to last for three seasons. And so if not now, then when, at least from a season three perspective. So I I think I I would be really surprised if we do get to the end of this show and we don't see Dr. Crusher. And that's a really interesting way of putting it that I had not kind of considered before, which is you're right. I mean, the character was badly served for a number of seasons on The Next Generation. They did do a better job later in the show. But, you know, I think uh, Troy had a fabulous episode in Star Trek. Picard season one, probably one of the best Troy episodes that frankly there's ever been, perhaps with the exception of Face of the Enemy. And so, you know, wouldn't it be fabulous for Gates to get an episode just like that about Crusher and have the opportunity to kind of, you know, stretch some wings and try some things that she never really got the opportunity to do in the show? I think it would be a massive missed opportunity if they didn't find some way, somehow, for Crusher to come back. Question for you, how are you feeling about the other act Actors who are coming back this season Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, John Delancey as Q. Has that got you excited or are you more of the like, I like to see new things kind of fan? No. So I grew up on Next Generation. Next Generation was the first Trek that I watched. I was, I think, about 11 when DS9 launched, 11 or 12. So I really, my, my formative Trek was TNG. And 
I am delighted that we're getting to see these old faces getting to tell new stories. I think I may have shattered glass with the noise that I made when we saw the trailer for season two of Picard and we got the big reveal at the end that John Delancey was coming back. Q has always been a favorite of mine and the relationship with Picard is so intricate and so beautifully done that to get to see them now, 20 years later, it's a blink in Q's life. He probably doesn't even notice it, but Picard has become a very, very different person. And so I think seeing the seeing how these actors are going to handle that evolution is going to just be fascinating. And I am also definitely in the camp where I want to see the knockdown drag out fight between Q and Guinan. I'm so, <laughs> I'm, I'm so here for that. And I think that also from a storytelling standpoint, it sort of makes sense what we've heard from LeVar Burton, from Gates McFadden. Like, I don't know how you work those two in to a story that's already got Q and Guinan in it. Yeah. I think that that's part of the reason why I'm giving LeVar Burton and Gates McFadden a little bit of a side eye going, I'm not sure I believe you that you're totally out because I think it would make a, a lot more sense for that story to move to season three and, and to, and we've still got Q sort of involved, but we're telling a different story now. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also have to think that you're sort of bringing this right back to Crusher again. If the writers and producers for this season have looked at what are some of the kind of threads of Picard's previous life that we can revisit on this show and have chosen Q and the Guinan relationship as one of those threads to revisit, why wouldn't you then also revisit the Crusher relationship as well? I mean, it's it is equally as fundamental to the character as the Q relationship and as the Guinan relationship is. And so to say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do that piece of it, but we're not going to go back and touch the crusher relationship at some point. Just, it doesn't add up for me. So I, it feels to me like it, it will ultimately get there just uh, maybe not as quickly as, as a lot of fans are hoping. Exactly. And I think that that, again, it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint where the focus of your second season is on Q and Guinan and then season three is more about some of the old faces and the old friends in other aspects you get Crusher you get LaForge maybe Worf is coming back too I mean they have hinted that they expected to see most of those old faces back again. Well, Star Trek 1-6 scale action figure licensee XO6 have started taking pre-orders for their second figure, following on from the company's successful launch of Lieutenant Commander Data in Star Trek First Contact uniform. They are releasing Captain Picard, also in First Contact uniform, to pair with Mr. Data. The figure is available for pre-order right now at XO6.com. The figure will cost you $189.90 cents and you pay a $20 deposit up front to secure your pre-order. In addition to Picard in first contact attire, with the vest he wore later in the movie, the figure includes several interchangeable hands, a tricorder, phaser, and phaser rifle. And perhaps most excitingly, XO6 have announced that they are also making the Enterprise E captain's chair to pair with the figure. The chair will release in Q3 of this year, and the company promises more information coming soon. And if that wasn't quite enough, the company have also teased future releases in the line of planned figures, which will include a number of the franchise's most famous captains. 
XO6 released a graphic for First Contact Day that indicated that Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, and Archer are all forthcoming figures in the line. To differentiate the Kirk and Picard releases from previous figures released by the team while they were at QMX, it looks like Kirk will be presented in the green wraparound tunic, and TNG Picard with the fifth season jacket and grey undershirt. But Kirk and Picard aside, they always get the figures. I am most excited for the possibility of adding Cisco, Janeway, and Archer to the crew. Sign me up for day one purchases for those, and here's hoping for a Captain Michael Burnham 2 to complete the set. Chris, are you much of a merchandise collector? Not actually, but I do have to say that I'm really impressed by the quality of what XO6 is putting out. The details on the costumes look fantastic, and unlike some of the other figures, the Picard, the new figure looks like Picard, which is an accomplishment. And so I I salute them for the quality of what they're producing. Yeah, figure likenesses are so hard. I mean, I'm thinking about Galoob, looks nothing like Sir Patrick Stewart. Playmates, I think they actually did a pretty good job. The Diamond Select Picard looked nothing like Patrick Stewart. And actually the first run of Picards they did while they were at QMX, I thought not as good as the first contact sculpt. I think they've done a nice job of capturing his likeness. Oh, and the McFarlane version that was supposed to herald a long line of action figures that went absolutely nowhere. That also looked nothing like Picard. And for this sort of size and scale, you know, and especially for the price point, I think, you know, it it is important that they do get the likenesses correct, but it is a challenging thing to accomplish to get somebody who to sort of look exactly the same as they did back in, you know, 1996 at this point. So yeah, I think they've done a really nice job of it. I'm really excited about them adding the Enterprise E Captain chair. I mean, of course, because I'm getting the Picard figure, I will almost certainly get the chair to go along with it because that's a great display piece. But assuming that sells well enough and they are doing other captains, like, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have Janeway in her captain's chair or Archer in his captain's chair. I mean, that's, you know, some of that stuff we've just kind of never gotten the opportunity to see or to own. And while this is, you know, obviously for the higher end collector's market and you do need to have quite a decent amount of disposable income in order to purchase one of these figures, let alone getting a captain's chair on top of that, it still is sort of an exciting prospect that we will maybe get some of this stuff down the line that, you know, are representations and characters that lots of people love, but we've not gotten before, right? We've not had a Janeway action figure since the Playmates action figure for Janeway was released in season one of Voyager. And that was 1994, which was a long time ago at this point. Uh, I feel old now. (laughs) Although when you're, when you're talking about all of these captain's chairs, Alex, so the, the first thing that's running into my head is that of course, well, now they have to produce a Riker that can sit in all of these chairs. (laughs) They sure need to, yeah. Well, I mean, they have said that they plan never to release a figure in a particular uniform style and then not do other characters alongside it. So they they did the first contact data and now they're doing the first contact Picard and they're also going to do the Borg Queen. We know they're going to do that character too to sort of round out the first contact set. So presumably if they do a Cisco, there'll then be a couple of Deep Space Nine characters they want to do. If they do a Janeway, there'll then be a couple more Voyager characters they want to do. So hopefully, you know, obviously all of this is very dependent on people continuing to buy them, but thus far, two figures in, it seems like they're doing fairly well and feeling optimistic and confident about the future and good for them. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been a long time since there's been, even though it's a 12-inch tall action figure and even though it's $200 and it's not 
not a four and a half inch Playmates action figure. It's been a long time since anybody in the sort of action figure market has gotten me even remotely kind of optimistic and confident about what they can do. And these guys so far are pulling it off. We'll see if they manage to stick to it. Well, I think it's interesting, right? Because you're you're talking about a price point that is really targeted towards the adult market. And you think about it and it, it definitely makes sense because the the people that grew up on these shows are now they're working. They're adults. They're they're in the prime of their careers. Yep. And they have the money to spend on this kind of quality merchandise. So I, I think that XO6 is really smart here because they're identifying their market and they're they're meeting the challenge of producing something that that market's going to go for. Very exciting. Well, hopefully more to come. I'm looking forward to getting data. They say the data figure should ship in early June. So I will be looking forward to doing that and almost certainly we'll do a review of it and you'll be able to find that over at trekcore.com. Well, lastly this week, we have good news, bad news for European Star Trek fans looking to get back onto the convention circuit. First, let's do the bad news. The Destination Star Trek Germany convention, which was already delayed twice due to the COVID-19 pandemic, is delayed once more. The convention, which had been scheduled for next month, it was supposed to be late June, will now take place September 23rd to 25th, 2022, so a year and a bit from now. Here's hoping that the new date will be far enough out to ensure that the convention can take place as scheduled. But in the realm of the good news, the team behind the Destination Star Trek conventions have confirmed that it is their intention that the Destination Star Trek London convention, scheduled in the United Kingdom for November 12th to 14th, 2021, will go ahead as planned for a fully in-person event. The news was announced by Robert Picardo, who played the Doctor on Star Trek Voyager, in a short video posted to the Destination Star Trek social media channels. That is good news, not just for Star Trek fans hoping to celebrate the franchise in person this November in London, but also for the Star Trek Voyager documentary team who are hoping to use the convention to film the planned Voyager cast reunion, which was one of the stretch goals for the recently concluded $1.2 million crowdfunding campaign. Chris, we talked a lot about this a little bit at the top, but sounds like you're a bit of a, a, a convention fan. How are you feeling about Star Trek conventions starting maybe perhaps to get back on track? I'm so excited for 22. I have actually... I have never been to a dedicated Star Trek convention. I'm heavily involved in our comprehensive all fandoms convention here in Minneapolis, which is Convergence. Uh, and we're we're looking forward to getting back on deck for that. But I have never been to a dedicated Star Trek convention as an adult. And so I am really excited for 22. And hopefully I'm definitely planning on going to Mission Chicago because it's in my backyard almost and uh, we'll see what else is, is on deck. But yeah, I'm feeling great about it. Oh, Chris, you're in for a treat. I uh, went to my first dedicated Star Trek convention in 2011. I went to Star Trek Las Vegas and I've been every year that they've had a Star Trek Las Vegas, which is a sad thing to say, but every year they've had a Star Trek Las Vegas since 2011. I've been to a few of the other dedicated Star Trek conventions that Creation has run and then the first repot mission, which they did in New York for the 50th anniversary. And 
conventions are fun, but dedicated Star Trek conventions themselves are something else. I mean, for all big Star Trek fans to go and know that every person around you loves the same thing that you do equally as much as you do is really a next level experience. And, and this is part of the reason why I'm so excited about the official Star Trek convention, Star Trek Mission, which next year, April 8th, 10th, will be Star Trek Mission Chicago. We'll sort of be moving around the US because it'll give fans who maybe haven't had the opportunity to get out to Las Vegas because it's quite far away and plane tickets to Las Vegas aren't always the cheapest and hotels in Las Vegas aren't always the cheapest to have the opportunity to experience an official Star Trek convention with thousands of their closest friends, everybody enjoying the same thing at the same time. So the costumes that you're making right now is the intent to have those ready to go for one of the local conventions or are we already starting to build towards next April? Definitely starting to build towards next April. Our Minneapolis convention is scheduled for August. I'm not quite sure if that's still going to happen yet or what it's going to look like, but I think I will definitely be bringing my skills to Mission Chicago and then potentially some other other conventions next year too. I'm really excited to be getting back into the cosplay realm and getting to compete again. I'm very happy that I'm going to get to do that again. Yeah, it's funny, you know, here obviously hearts go out to many places in the world where the COVID pandemic is still a real problem and continuing to rip the heart out of so many countries around the world. But it is, you know, here in the US, we are very blessed and privileged to be in a position where, you know, we are able to start thinking about a return to some semblance of normality. And uh, yeah, I'm also really excited about Star Trek conventions. I still haven't quite decided whether I'm going to go to Las Vegas this August. But, you know, as cases come down and more importantly, deaths come down and things start to open back up again, you know, my confidence in going is is every day it gets a little higher so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it too and it'll be a lot of fun when we can finally see everybody again I feel like 22 for me is going to be my convention year because of I'm going to plan to go to I'm planning definitely to go to Mission Chicago I may go to Dragon Con and there might be a couple of others on deck that that I'll see about but I think really 22 is going to be my big splash year for conventions all right well we've talked about the facts and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guest give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Chris, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. So I have a wish for Discovery Season 4. I would really like to see and I think we're going to get to see maybe a little bit of it, of how the structure of the Federation has really evolved into the 32nd century. Uh, there's, it looks like we might get to meet the Federation president in season four from the trailers. And I'm just so interested in what that looks like, how the Federation is governed, how it's evolved with the shrinking membership. And just it's a, it's an interesting detail for me that I hope the show is going to explore a little bit. I would love that. Some of my favorite Star Trek episodes are the ones that have sort of touched on the politics of the Federation, which with the exception of, you know, like we know there's a president and we know there's a Federation council, it's never really been explained kind of how it all fits together and, you know, what is the governance structure for the Federation? How often do they do elections? What do those elections look like? How does the Federation council pick the council members? I'd love it in all kinds of Star Trek, but yeah, for that sort of discovery time period, it's particularly interesting because it's, it, you know, at that point, it's a government that's been around for 
a thousand years, but has gone through this really difficult calamity and had to kind of figure out what comes next. And, you know, what are the dynamics now where, you know, you're watching a 24th century show and you understand the political dynamics of the Federation really well, right? I mean, obviously it's humans sort of play a key role in Vulcans and Andorians and Tellarites. And then you have, you know, all these other races and some of them, you know, have quite a bit of power too, like the Betazoids and the Bolians. And although it's not quite a little unclear whether they're actually Federation members or not, you know, hopefully the Bajorans one day, but yeah, that it, you know, sort of cast that into the future. And, and they do sort of come at that in the trailer, right? We think that we saw the Federation president and looks very much like she has at least some Cardassian DNA in her, which is very interesting. Of course, we saw some Cardassian Starfleet captains in the third season of Discovery. But yeah, like, you know, what does that look like? You know, you've got a Cardassian on top of the Federation. That's a new thing for us as viewers, certainly, even though by this point in Federation history, maybe that's, you know, old news. So yeah, that'd be really fun to learn more about. And also the the economics. Because we see we we see sort of that the economy of Earth is post scarcity. We don't use money, and then it's it's heavily implied that the Federation, as well, at least by the time of of later TNG and DS Nine, is post scarcity. But how has that changed? Are we are we back to using money in some instances? And what happens if a member world is not post scarcity? Can they still join the Federation, or do they have to operate a second a separate economic structure? So. I don't know that we'll get to see all of that, but the more the more backstory they want to give me on how some of those real world applications work, I'll eat it up. I am totally with you. And and partially, you know, I think it it helps the viewer be able to understand the gravity of the situation and the dynamics such that for a crew that's working to rebuild the Federation, you have a good sense of how high up the mountain they have to climb before they get there. So it, it does help you understand the stakes a lot better and, and makes the storytelling more powerful as a result. So my theory this week is actually a listener theory. This comes from Anthony Schmidt, who DM'd me on Twitter. And uh, this is sort of a follow-up from conversation that's been, I've sort of brought up a few times over the last few episodes, which is when are we going to get Star Trek Prodigy? And will we get Star Trek Prodigy before uh, Star Trek is released on August the 12th? And I'd said that I would be sort of interested in seeing if a release for Prodigy was announced in the couple of weeks since the last episode dropped and I said the last possible date I thought that it could happen before Lower Deck Season 2 premieres is Wednesday which is the CBS Upfronts presentation I think it's possible that maybe we get a conversation about this there but Anthony suggested something I hadn't really thought of which is you know since we know that the show's also going to run on Nickelodeon and there it's going to be a week to week run what's potentially stopping Paramount Plus from basically doing what Netflix does and dropping an entire season of Prodigy across one day so that fans can go in and watch the season at their leisure rather than doing the week-to-week release. I meant to go back and double-check before I recorded this episode, but I didn't get the chance to do it. So I think that Paramount Plus has done both. They've done the weekly releases and they've done full-season drops in the Netflix model. And so maybe, right, if, especially if the kind of week-to-week scheduling is an open question and you know maybe you think the approach is a bit different if you're dealing with kids than if you're dealing with adults who you know maybe respond a bit better to the week two week releases where you say maybe actually it does make sense to do it all at the same time so that sort of opens up a whole new set of possibilities again too right which is you don't necessarily need if it's 10 episodes for Prodigy 10 episodes for Lower Decks and 10 episodes for Discovery uh, you don't need 30 weeks 
in which to play all of that. You really only need 21, you know, 10 for Discovery, 10 for Lower Decks, and then one in which Prodigy gets released all at the same time. So interesting theory. So maybe Wednesday is not the ultimate drop dead date for knowing if we're going to get Prodigy before Lower Decks, because maybe it could come at any time and maybe it could come all at once. Chris, what do you think? Would you enjoy a low, a, a Prodigy drop of the first season all at once? Or would you like to stick with the weekly releases? You know, my answer is a non-answer, Alex, is that I like both. If they drop the entire season in one day, I'm taking two days off of work. If it's episodic, I have something to do on a certain evening of the week. And either one is great with me. I think that you're absolutely right in saying that maybe the drop all of it at once appeals to the more adult demographic that wants to sit there and binge something. Um, But on the other hand, I really enjoyed the the weekly drop of Picard. Uh, My husband watched it with me and it gave us just kind of a nice thing to do together on that evening. So I'm going to be fine with it, whichever they choose. I can see the advantages and disadvantages to both. I think it would be interesting to try it, right? I mean, you know, we've done the weekly releases and we know we're getting the other shows weekly, right? I mean, Lower Decks is still going to be weekly. Picard's still going to be weekly. Discovery's still going to be weekly. I think it would be interesting to try out a Star Trek release that would be, you know, let's just have all the episodes at once and watch everything together. I mean, as somebody who has written reviews for new Star Trek for TrekCore.com, I feel sorry for whoever has the responsibility of writing all those Prodigy reviews, <laughs> 10 episodes all at the same time, if it gets released that way. But that could be an interesting experience for fans to kind of see what it's like to do it that way. So it, the reason I wanted to mention it, I mean, we have no idea if that's going to happen. Nobody said anything about the possibility of the show dropping all at once, but Anthony reached out and, and raised the possibility. And it just, it really just wasn't something I had thought about before. So I thought, yeah, you know what maybe it's worth maybe it will happen right because because who knows you know it's it's a it's a different show it's a different demographic it's a different target audience that they're looking for and so maybe they have a different strategy and a different approach for it so i guess we will just have to wait and see what happens do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at weeklytrek at the tricordertransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Chris Vanderkamp, for joining me today. Chris, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? And more importantly, if they want to see those fabulous cosplays once they're ready. I am on Twitter. My handle is Starfleet. STGMGR, Starfleet Stage Manager. Um, And that actually comes from my life working conventions. I stage manage our big costume showcase and competition here in Minneapolis for our annual convention. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. Well, that is awesome. As I say a lot, the best Star Trek fans are over on Twitter. So if you are on Twitter, make sure to give Chris a follow. Well, you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. 